This morning, uh, we're going to look at a, a familiar passage, Jesus feeding the 5,000. And uh, when Tasha and I lived in, in Florida, our house down there did not have a dishwasher. And so on those occasions when we'd have people over for dinner, I remember standing at the, the you know, standing at the kitchen sink and surrounded by the, the, the many dishes and pots and pans, contemplating if, if, if we really needed friends. And, <laughs> and now that we have a dishwasher, we're happy to be your friend. <laughs> but playing host, it, it comes with a price, doesn't it? I think of that classic scene in the movie, The Christmas Story, where the family is, they're, they're gathered around for, for dinner. And all the men keep asking the mother for a refill on the milk or another helping of mashed potatoes. And the narrator comments that his mother hadn't had a warm meal for herself in 15 years. Right, you know that playing the host, it takes, it takes a toll. Right? And even those who just seem made uh, for that role, uh, they, eventually, they eventually hit a wall. Right? They, they, they throw in the towel, they, they hand off the fancy silverware and the dishes to somebody else. And so as we look at this passage this morning, I want us to consider what kind of host Jesus is. What kind of host Jesus is. And if you're joining us for the first time, we're in a sermon series where we're looking at all the places in the Gospel of Luke where Jesus shares a meal with people. And we're interested in what these meals, uh, what they teach us about, what they teach us about Jesus, his, his mission, his identity, his heart, and even his purpose for us. And this is our, our third week in the series. In the first two passages that we've, that we've studied, Jesus was the guest. But in our text this morning, Jesus is the one who sets out the food. He's the one who gets, who gets everything ready. And as we'll learn, he does so miraculously, supernaturally. And because this text is one that's, that's familiar, I just want to say up front that this passage this is not about our need to be charitable or the good that can be accomplished when we share and pool our resources. The, the Bible certainly has a lot to say about that. But this text is about answering who Jesus is. Right? It's a window into his heart. It shows us why he came. Why he came down from heaven and, and, and clothed himself in our flesh. That's why this story is recorded for us. Because whether, because whether you recognize it or not, the correct answer to who Jesus is, it is the most important matter in your life. So let's, let's turn to Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17, and see what we can learn about this man who, who played host to a massive crowd of hungry and needy people. On their return, the apostles told Jesus all they had done. And he took them and withdrew to a part, of, a part to a town called Bethsaida. And when the crowds learned of it, they followed him. And he welcomed them. And spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. Now the day began to wear away. 
And the 12 came and said to him, send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions for we are here in a desolate place. But Jesus said to them, you give them something to eat. And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish, unless we are to go and buy food for all these people. For there were about 5,000 men. And he said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. And they did so and had them all sit down. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. Then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And they all ate and were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up, 12 baskets of broken pieces. Friends, the grass weathers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. Verse 10 tells us that the apostles had news to share with Jesus. What news did they have to share? Well, chapter 9 in Luke's gospel, you can mark it as, as the pivotal chapter. It's, it's the place where major questions are answered, things begin to shift, and one of the ways that things begin to shift is that the apostles move, they move from being mere observers of Jesus's ministry uh, to active participants. So look at the opening verses of chapter 9. We're told that Jesus called the 12 together, and he gave them power and authority over all demons to cure diseases, and he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal. So in verse 10, the apostles probably tired out by their, their first mission trip. They want to debrief with Jesus. And so they withdraw to this remote area. And Bethsaida is probably mentioned there just to indicate the closest town. And the language that's used in verse 10 suggests that the disciples, they had good things to share. You've all been on those, those trips where you pull back into the driveway and you never want to revisit it. The idea is that the apostles were eager to have some uninterrupted time with Jesus. This was a trip that they wanted to revisit. They wanted to marvel over all the things that had happened. But then you notice that it's the crowd that reigns on the apostles' parade. Hush and I took a vacation at the beginning of June, and, and really one of the great things about that vacation was that nobody bothered me. You know, what would you do for some uninterrupted time? And it's not as if Jesus was above getting away from people. We see him, we see him withdraw in order to pray. But what's unique and unlike us is how Jesus responds when this quiet time is invaded. So look again at his response. We're told that he, he welcomed this crowd and he spoke to them about the kingdom of God. He, he taught them and he cured those who had need of healing. See, Jesus didn't see this, this massive crowd coming and, 
and sigh and say, I guess I'll go back to work because you all need me that much. The text says he, he welcomed this crowd. And the Greek word there means that he received them gladly. He received them without reserve, no questions asked. Jesus was excited that this crowd was coming to him. Matthew and Mark also record this event, and they tell us that when Jesus saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them. And that word for compassion means that Jesus felt something for this crowd deep, deep in his gut. And it wasn't as if this crowd caught Jesus on an unusually good day. This is how Jesus consistently responded to those who were in need. Those who were, who were morally suspect. Look at what Luke tells us in chapter 15. It's another place where Jesus is eating with people. And we're told that, that tax collectors and sinners, they were all, they were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes, they see this and they grumbled, saying this man receives sinners and eats with them. When the Pharisees and scribes complain that Jesus receives sinners, the issue is, is, is not simply the fact that Jesus is eating with the wrong kind of people. It's his attitude. The deeper problem is that Jesus is eating with these people gladly. The word used for receives has this sense of, of eagerness and anticipation. Eating with sinners is something Jesus looks forward to. It's something that he sets out to do deliberately. And so what is Jesus' attitude towards hosting you? Do you imagine that he's eager or reluctant, not all that interested? Do you think this is the kind of host that's hit a wall and is now ready to, to throw in the towel? He's done it for long enough, but today is the cutoff. The crowd that came out into that desolate place needed to be taught and healed. This was a crowd with immense baggage. They were ignorant and they were sick. Someone shows up your, at your door with luggage and you're thinking, I wonder how long they plan on staying. Jesus sees our baggage and he explodes with joy. He sees it and a smile comes across his face. So I wonder on what grounds you've concluded that Jesus wouldn't be glad to see you at his table. Maybe you've determined that you've, you've denied him too many times, so there's no way he would be happy to see you, except maybe to scold you. Maybe you've concluded that your lack of spirituality, your lack of faith, 
your clear lack of virtue is a disappointment to him. He's not interested in those kind of people. Perhaps for years and years and years, you've just, you felt no desire for Christ. Never really had much of an interest in him. So you conclude the door must now be closed. All the chairs are occupied. Maybe you've been a Christian for a long time, but you believe that your ongoing struggles are just a burden to him. So you've avoided him. You've hid your problems away. And you've decided that it's enough that Jesus would would tolerate your presence. That he's somehow obligated to receive you because he's forgiven your sins, but the joy has disappeared. So the thought that he'd be glad to receive your baggage, that's just foreign. Friends, what do you truly think about Jesus's heart? And are you unsure of the greeting that you'll receive? In his book, Everyone's Invited, Pastor Jeffrey Thomas, I think, beautifully captures the heart of Jesus. He says, he says, the Lord hesitates from treating all men and women as they deserve. He waits. He is patient and persistent, even to the last hour. He shrinks from executing a swift judgment. He earnestly desires for each person to end his or her hostility of unbelief toward God. His pleasure comes from seeing them pause and think. He sees them asking themselves whether this life of stubborn resistance to Jesus Christ is helping them and preparing them for death. His joy is in seeing them begin to speak hesitantly, almost embarrassed to this one whom they barely know, asking him if he will possibly help them, confiding that they feel they need him, but all this religion is, is unchartered territory. And so mercy, whenever he hears such a cry, he leaps for joy. And all heaven celebrates with him. So who is Jesus the host? What's his heart towards you this morning? Given the week that you've had. Given the times that you've exploded again in anger. Given the times that you've felt lust and greed doing the very thing that you promised yourself you wouldn't do again. What's his heart towards that person this morning? Your ignorance and your need for healing are not too much for him. His desire is to, it's to teach you. It is to forgive your sins. It's to heal up your wounds. That is the kind of host that we have in the Lord Jesus. And so if you are visiting with us, if you are, if you are new, 
We want you to know that uh, if we can help you understand more of what it means to come to Christ, to know him, we want to be able to, to welcome your questions gladly. We want to be warm and, and hospitable towards you because that's how each of us has been treated by Christ. So we see that when Jesus throws a banquet, his heart is overflowing with joy for all who will come with that simple cry of mercy. And while Jesus was teaching and healing, notice the apostles, they had their eyes on the clock. It was time to go. So they come up to Jesus. I like to think of them coming up with bad watches, tapping them like this. They come up to Jesus and they tell him to send the crowd away because of the lack of food and shelter. Now, when Jesus told the apostles to give the crowd something to eat, what do you think his expectations were? Right, to supernaturally produce enough food to feed this crowd? Well, look back at verse 3. Look back at verse 3. When Jesus sent the apostles out on this, on this first missionary trip, he told them, he said, take nothing for your journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money. Do not even have two tunics. Go with nothing, Jesus is saying, and watch God provide. Jesus wasn't expecting the apostles to pull off some miracle. His, re his response in verse 13, you give them something to eat, was meant to get them to recall that not too long ago, they had trusted God to provide and had great success. And just a bit before this, earlier in Luke's gospel, Jesus is on Simon's boat. Jesus, the rabbi, tells Simon the fisherman to let down his nets into the water. Simon isn't too excited about this, but he does so. And when the nets came up, Luke tells us that they had enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. And even further back in scripture, in another remote area, God provided manna for his people. The apostles' blind spot here is often ours. Why is God's past faithfulness why does God's past faithfulness get forgotten or questioned when we find ourselves in a slightly new situation? Sure, the apostles thought God could, God could provide for the 12 of us, but a crowd this size, no way. Jesus wasn't trying to shame the apostles. And he wasn't saying, if you can't feed this crowd on your own at this point, I'm done with you. I mean, feeding a crowd of 5,000 plus, that, we do that in Discipleship 101. The enormity of the need was once again to show them that only Christ is sufficient for the task. And so what is it, what task feels overwhelming to you? 
Maybe another way to ask that is, what is it in your life that's exposing your weakness? Is your response to that weakness, that shortcoming, that struggle, that inability, is your response embarrassment? Or does it drive you to seek Christ more and more? I think parents, parents, do you think that Jesus is disappointed in you because you find parenting difficult? Like he's surprised that you can't raise perfect children without losing your temper. Is Jesus mad at us when we, when we find that marriage is hard? When we struggle to forgive when we've been wounded? Teenagers, do you imagine, do you imagine that Jesus is looking down on you with a frown because it's hard for you in your own strength to stand up to peer pressure and choose what is right. No. The goal is for us to reach that point when we realize that we can do nothing. We do nothing outside the strength and the power and the grace of Christ. How much we need his wisdom. And we need his ability to redeem and restore our sins. Of course, you can't do the job of, of a parent apart from Christ. Undoubtedly, you can't love your spouse as you are called to apart from him. You aren't going to be able to forgive someone who's hurt you and wounded you out of your own storehouse of, of goodness and grace. And there's no way to lead a godly life without relying on him daily. You see, when Jesus told the apostles to give the disciples something to eat, notice they make these grasp at solutions. And they're all terrible, stupid solutions because they don't have enough food and they obviously don't have enough money to buy that amount of food for that many people. And we all come up with feeble, terrible solutions before we look at Christ, don't we? And the right answer here would have been, would have been what we are so reluctant to admit to turn to him and say, we can't do it. We can't feed these people. That's so beyond us. We aren't omnipotent. We aren't you. So we need you, oh Lord God, to do what you've done before. Feed your people. Have mercy on us once again. And that's what Jesus does. He shows this massive crowd grace. Because who sets off into a remote area and doesn't pack a sack lunch? Right, I think the apostles had a point. Let these people fend for themselves. Why is that on us? But doing what God has done before Jesus 
miraculously feeds undeserving people who have no way to provide for themselves. And remember, the purpose of this miracle, it is to answer who Jesus is. What a revelation. What a way to show that he is God. He is God incarnate. He is the author of every piece of bread, every fish that there ever was. I think there's even something more revealed in this meal. We get to understand more of who Jesus is at a greater depth. Listen to verse 16 again. It says, And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them. And then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. And listen to what Jesus says at another banquet. At the Last Supper, Luke records that Jesus took bread and he gave thanks and he broke it and he gave it away, saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then Luke tells us, in chapter 24, this is after Jesus' resurrection, he tells us about another banquet. This one with disciples that Jesus met on the road to Emmaus. And listen to what Luke records. He says that when he was at table with them, he once again took the bread, blessed it, and broke it. And he gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him. Three times in Luke's gospel, Jesus takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and he gives it away. Why? So that we will understand that Jesus is the life-giving bread that is broken for our sake and given to us free of charge, that we may have life and be satisfied. Friends, this meal out in that remote place, it was a foreshadowing of his death. He will be broken to be given away to save us from an eternal death. And it's quite interesting that there are 12 baskets left over. One for each of the apostles who thought all of those people needed to leave. So in some way, the miracle, the miracle was really for them. It was for them to grow in their understanding that Jesus' sacrifice of his own body and his own blood would be enough for the masses. Because what would the apostles end up taking to the ends of the world? They do not take a truckload of bread and fish. They take the gospel. They spread this message about Jesus who died and rose for the sake of sinners. They brought the news, as Paul tells us, that there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. 
Friends, we believe that Jesus satisfies because he fills up what is so desperately lacking in us. That we were all, we were all made in God's image. And so we were made to, to honor that image, but we have fallen short of that glory. And so we are all guilty. We lack righteousness. And God is just and right to hold us accountable for the ways that we've, that we've lied about his image. But Jesus is the image, but in Jesus, the image of God, it was, it was perfectly reflected. He fulfilled all righteousness. He actively obeyed God in every way, and yet he offered himself as our, as our substitute on the cross. He bore God's just and good wrath against the sins of all those who would repent, who would trust in this, this great, all-satisfying provision. Our text says that all ate and were satisfied, that all those who received that meal, that meal were filled, that no one went hungry, no one's need was too big. And so this morning, what feels too big? Your sins? Maybe it's your lack of understanding about God and faith. It just seems so insurmountable, so why bother? Maybe it's the call to lead a godly and holy life. It just seems too challenging in school, too challenging in the workplace. What is it that seems too big? Friends, I'm confident that the Lord Jesus will not, he will not leave you wanting. You will find in him, as Paul tells us, you will. You will find in him all the treasures of, of wisdom and knowledge. The apostles learned that evening that there will never be a moment where we do not need Christ. As if we somehow accomplish one thing for him, because of him, and then we move on from our dependence. That's not what he wants. You're never going to graduate from that. And so I want you to think about what it is that you need this morning. What is it that you need this week? What is it that you feel that can't be undone? That can't be forgiven? That can't be restored? That can't be accomplished? What do you need? And as you think about that, I want you to remember that there's this host. There's this host who's so eager to see you. A smile is going to come across his face when he hears your voice. Because whatever that thing it is that you need, he's going to leap for joy when you bring it to him. So let's pray. Lord, in your grace and mercy, we do ask that you would feed us once again 
We come to you with, with many needs, and yet you are so glad to receive us and welcome us. As we think about what is ahead of us, we ask that you would offer us your power and strength like you did to your 12 apostles. We ask that you would arm us with all that we need to live lives for you. We love you. We thank you. Amen.